Good day, listeners, and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. To our 4.7% of listeners from Australia, I do apologize for that intro. <laughs> However, we're all very excited, and I'm joined by my usual dream team for an emergency special episode just when we thought we were done for the summer. Spurs have pulled us back in again because we have a new manager exactly 72 days after sacking Antonio Conte, which was exactly how long it took instantly for us to hire Nuno in a strange twist of fate. We have hired Big Ange Postacoglu from Celtic, a man who is close to many of our hearts as Greeks, of course. And we'll get on to talk about him, what he might bring to Spurs, what next season might look like and everything relating to that. So I hope you're all as excited as we are to be back on the Plus Dave podcast. Welcome to everyone and welcome to my co-stars. Starting with you, Dave, welcome back. I know that you really were fed up of football just a little while ago. Are you in any way looking forward to chatting about Ange Postacoglu and Spurs today? Yes, I am. Good. I'm looking forward to briefly discussing Ange Postacoglu's appointment at Spurs and then getting back to my life, which is, generally speaking, <laughs> waiting for Leeds to do something because they're not fucking doing anything at the well, moment. Just before we started recording, you were doing your best effort to try and find out if this guy can clear the very low bar of being better than Brendan Rodgers. So I'm going to ask you to drag those stats up again in just a while. But before I do, I'm going to introduce the other two guests today. Two men who, uh, much like our new manager, are Greek men with some of their best years behind them and uh, perhaps some questionable CVs. Uh, welcome back, Sox and Elio. Sorry, that was a cheap shot really, wasn't it? But welcome back. Hope you're looking forward to talking about Spurs. Are we happy? Sox first. How are we feeling? Yeah, positive for the first time in quite a long time. Uh, yeah. A new chapter opening. I know we're going to get into it. I don't know if it was anybody's first choice, but the more we, I think we're all reading and the more we're listening, I think the more everybody is already warming to the guy without him yeah. having actually done anything yet. So uh, look forward to talking about it. Yeah, we're easily won over sometimes, aren't we, football fans? Um, Elio, you just said off air that this is the first podcast you've looked forward to in a long time. I'm um, not going to take that personally and can understand why. How are you feeling at the moment? Good. Optimistic. I think it's refreshing that they, and by they I mean our boards, have yeah. been... All right. In reality, no, because two and a half month manager search. But yeah. when you counter in the fact that this guy had many competitions, he was still in, had a title to win, had a cup to win, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it feels like they've moved as quick as they could have, if indeed this guy was the plan. So, and mm. there's no reason not to think he was, given the similarities in style between him and the other hotly tipped managerial appointments that could have been Arne Schlotz. So. I feel like Spurs have, for the first time in a long time, decided what they want, stuck to their guns, and gone for something that was in keeping with whatever blueprint they, once again, they might include Scott Munn as well, who knows, but in keeping mm. with whatever blueprint they've come up with. And that feels good to say because, well, you know how against I was yet another sort of quote-unquote elite manager. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people were getting impatient with the whole comparisons to the pre-Nuno search. And obviously, there were the inevitable comparisons. It doesn't help that it took exactly 72 days again. But I don't know if any of you read Jack Pitbrook's recent article about it, where he basically has come out and said, this isn't the same as the Nuno situation. This was a little bit more organized. It took a long time because it had to take a long time. And that Postacoglu was very much on the shortlist from day one. And he says, where Nuno was an uninspired last resort of choice, Postacoglu is a thought-out, calculated gamble that has an enormous upside, even if it carries with it a degree of risk. So you, you could even say to dare is to do. And it does carry a degree of risk, yeah. but so does every yeah. managerial appointment, as we well, all know. Exactly. Apart, apart exactly. from Mourinho and Conte, which were pretty much risk-free, no, right? Proven winners. <laughs> So they're obviously going to win. Um, Joe Side, so I was just about to ask you, this is about as close as you can get to a manager that at least on paper embodies what we like to call, or sometimes don't like to call, Spurs DNA, right? This is someone who favours attack by all accounts. What do you know about Postacoglio? What, what are you expecting to see? Yeah, first off, I, I think I've spent enough time slagging off Levy and the board, so I think it's important to give them credit when they get a decision and a big decision like this one correct. I think they clearly laid out what they wanted from a coach. And unlike the 2021 disaster, all of the coaches we attempted, okay, we failed to get a couple of them, but all the ones we tried for 
tick those few boxes, as you've just said. In terms of Postacoglu, I, I think we've all, maybe I only speak on behalf of myself, but everybody I know anyway has just been consuming piece of content after piece of oh, content. Absolutely. I feel like I've seen about seven documentaries worth of the guy. I think I know his entire <laughs> life story. I feel like an estranged son. Uh, the thing yeah. I like about him is that he just, every time he speaks, he just says, attack. And I was watching an interview he had with somebody in Australia, and it was around the time he first got the Celtic job. And they were talking, look, this is a, a different level to what you were used to in Japan. Are you going to have to be more pragmatic? Are you going to have to change your style of play, change your system? He said, no, I'm just going to double down on what I'm already doing. I'm going to attack even more. And that it, it does harken back yeah. to sort of what the idea is in the 90s, where it's just going to be sort of five up front. <laughs> it's fun. We're in that kind of honeymoon phase now where everything is really nice and romantic and rosy. And if we're getting pumped six nil away at Old Trafford, it might not be so fun, but there is a certain romance with Spurs and he does tick a lot of those boxes where that fun free-flowing attacking football that is just going to be relentless whether we are away at Watford or away at Liverpool is going to be there so that's a big thumbs up from me as far as I'm concerned yeah we're all having visions of 5-4 victories in the coming months aren't we and and absolute barnstormers of games Dave you are the neutral as your designated position in this podcast you're here to bring us down to earth are we getting a bit carried away should we be as excited about this appointment as we appear to be Here's the thing. I don't think that this is the kind of hire that is ever going to get the standard fan excited. But I think this is the kind of hire that could turn over time into a masterstroke. Because like Mm. what we have said on this podcast and everybody says quite a lot of the time you can't get a manager who's too big for your club you can't get players that are too big for your club it doesn't usually work either they're using it as a stepping stone or it just doesn't work uh, as we've seen with Mourinho and with Conte yeah Postacoglu's stock is on the rise he has done it everywhere he's been and the natural step up from a well pretty comprehensive decimation of the Scottish League last season is the Premier League and a obvious place for the Premier League would be a dare I say a mid-table team because that's what you finished this season but the potential in your squad obviously is that you'll be higher than that so you know it feels like a natural progression and it, and it feels like if I were you guys and if I were Spurs I'd be very comfortable with this and quietly confident that you could do something but I wouldn't be shouting it from the rafters because I don't think it's that kind of hire. Yeah. Oh, that's the exciting thing about it. The exciting thing is that it's the calculated hire, the almost seemingly sensible hire after throwing people like Mourinho and Conte at the problems in the last couple of years and then just sort of wetting the bed and going for Nuno. It's how <laughs> unexciting and how seemingly sort of within the structures that we operate in this hire is that excites me the most because I've said all along, anyone we get in as you just rightly put it, has to be someone on an upward trajectory for whom we are the next level up for him in his career, not someone who has been there, done that, had his day and is getting a big payday from us. And I think what really heartens me about that is that we've not only gone for this unglamorous managerial hire, this sort of guy who's not worked at this level yet but we've also backed him with a long contract by managerial standards these days we've given him a four-year deal usually it's two plus one three plus one no other manager of the current serving let's call them big six managers i hate the term but for argument's sake big six managers none of them started off with anything more than three years on their deal so the fact that we've gone in with the extra when we're probably the club that has the most work to do as well is really really heartening it shows that there may just be a bit of a long-term vision and the last time they gave a manager a big contract pochettino five years Mm. who was on an upward trajectory, who we took from another club as opposed to him being out of work. So this has some echoes of the last great hire we made. Echoes of former glory. Can I just point out on that point, though? Yeah. We've had this, this conversation a couple of times. Sox, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Poch wasn't the first choice. Poch was a backup. I think it'll be mm. interesting to know what happens here as to you know what the story unfolds about you know the Nagelsmann PR fail and whether any other people were actually interviewed for this before it actually got to Postacoglu because you know I, I agree with everything you're saying Elio but this coin has two sides and the other side is yeah. they couldn't get who they wanted 
and the person that was the backup in the same way that Nuno was a backup in the same way that Poch was a backup actually in our eyes this time looks like a better option. Absolutely. But I, I think sort of just going off of what we've seen in the media over the last couple of months, there's been three managers, two if we believe Spurs, three if we yeah. use our brains, that we've spoken to either fleetingly or seriously. That's been Nagelsmann, Schlott, and this guy. And Nagelsmann, one of the hottest properties on earth, out yep. of work, It'd be reckless not to. Any club that thinks they're a big club has to speak to him. Exactly. It would be reckless not to, uh, even if it's just to be told no. And that Jack Pitbrook article says that he turned down the chance to meet with us because, well, he didn't think we were right for him, essentially, which is fair enough. And maybe a bullet dodged for him as well as for us if that was going to be the starting point. Schlotz then very clearly was the guy we're after, but it seems like Feyenoord's made him feel that he couldn't leave with sort of how much they have invested him and how how mm. big a sort of link there is there. But also, he probably thinks to himself, and once again, this is going back to that Jack Pitt Brook article, he probably thinks to himself, Another year like this with Feyenoord, and next year it's not going to be Spurs coming for me. It's going to be Barcelona. Mm. So, yeah. so yeah. if that's the thought process, and Postecoglou was, let's say two and a half choice, two and a half, because I think Nagelsmann was just you have to speak to him as opposed to first choice. Then that's absolutely fine because ultimately yeah. it still shows that there was a consistency in thinking and a wider vision. And if anything, the fact that they did go for someone that still ticked the same boxes as the other guy and still gave him a good contract. Makes me feel like this is finally the painful rebuild that Poch said we needed five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's diligent to have multiple options, right? We're not just going to say this is our plan A and if that fails, we'll go to plan B. You've got to keep candidates open. You've got to make sure that you're looking at people and there's not going to be one perfect answer. But I think to the credit of the board, or who knows, maybe this was just a fluke, it looks like, and I'm not saying this is definitely what's happened, but it looks like they've listened to what the fans want to a degree. They've listed out the boxes that need to be ticked for this appointment a very important appointment by everyone's reckoning. And they've said, right, we need somebody for whom this is not them doing us a favor. It's a step up. And I know Celtic are a huge club and arguably a bigger club than Spurs, but it's a step up in terms of the responsibility moving to the Premier League. We need somebody who plays attacking football. And we need somebody that does well working with youth players. It ticks every box on paper. I know and it's the not personality as well. He's a unifying personality. Yeah. He engages with the press, he engages with the fans, he engages with his players. There is one exactly key question I do need now. answered, though. There is one question yeah. that overrides all of this. Yeah. Socks. Based on these happenings and the fact that you accidentally renewed your season tickets for next season, <laughs> are you going to let that be a happy accident and keep your season ticket renewed, or are you still going to jump ship and get rid? Uh, my plan now is to probably keep it. Yeah, it, it was actually accidental. My my plan was to yeah. keep it, swap the seats around my dad and my brother, and then cancel it. And then uh, I don't know if it's just fate or destiny, what, but I can't get away from this because <laughs> I just can't even <laughs> when I want to. Just when in. you think you're out, they pull you back in. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, with a Greek coach. You're my best route at getting tickets, and I was quite hoping to go myself. I had a look to see where I was in the season ticket waiting list, and uh, I was hoping that about thirty thousand people would drop out on the basis of last season, but somehow <laughs> they seem to have timed it just right. Um, here's a tweet that I know, Elio, you're like this will be music to us. This is from Suffering Spurs on Twitter, Sean THFC. Welcome, Big Ange, to the Misery Brigade, the Purple and Yellow Children, the You're Part <laughs> of the Problem Virgins. Do us a favor, keep your repetitive, vibe-killing negativity to yourselves and get behind the big man. Let him see what a great fan base we are from day one. I think that is a great sentiment and um, I think that's one that we should reiterate and hopefully uh, a lot of people get on his side. But I think it is worth mentioning that there have been some question marks over him and rightly so, it might be said. And I want to address just a couple of the the sticks that one might choose to beat him with. Um, first of all, and this is probably a pretty quick one, I imagine this isn't really going to be something worth mentioning but does the fact that he is whatever 57 58 cause any issue to anyone 
Look, uh, no. if if we announce that we hired Jurgen Klopp, a fifty-five-year-old, tomorrow, or Mauricio yeah. Pochettino, who I think is about to turn fifty-two, with anybody exactly. to turn around and go, "Oh, but he's a little too old," I think the point yeah. people made is that he's fifty-seven, and this is his first quote-unquote big job, and and by big, obviously, big league more so than than big club because he's already managed Celtic. So I think people are yeah. looking at it and going, "Well, would you not have had?" another job at a certain point in your career uh, sort of slightly earlier. I think another point to make is that he spent a good five to 10 years, I think just coaching at sort of certain youth levels. So if you want yeah. to deduct about 10 years and just look at yeah. it from a professional level and you and look at it as well, so, exactly. Internationals. So not, he hasn't been coaching every single day mm. at a senior level for 20 or 30 years. So I don't want to go down the road of some of it being ageism, but I, I do wonder, part of me does wonder, if he was the exact same person with the exact same CV, but 45 years old and not fat, I wonder if more <laughs> yeah. of our fans would, would have taken to him because it shouldn't matter, but looks in life and in management yeah. as well, football and not exempt, looks do matter, but he's here now and, and I think once the once he gets going and, and the football starts, I, I don't think people are going to be complaining about how old he is, honestly. Yeah, I think he just doesn't fit the kind of archetype physically of the young, hungry, up-and-coming, cutting-edge, tactical innovation manager that we all think. He's not a Nihilwoodsman. Yeah, he hasn't got a hipster beard and he exactly. doesn't ride a scooter into work. Unlike which you, are the real, exactly. Which are the real key details of <laughs> being are indeed. <laughs> They are indeed. Um, but look, I think it, the, the other thing, obviously, the, the elephant in the room is that he's not managed at what we would call the top level. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And he has done very, very well. I think just to run through very quickly, everyone's heard all about his success. But he's done very well everywhere he's been. He did very well with the Australian national team. Got them to win the, I think it was the Asian Cup, I think they qualified for. He got them into the 2014 World Cup where they crashed out in the group stage. But they gave everyone in their group a really good game he's won yokohama in japan their first ever league title he's set new records in celtic his brisbane raw team is widely considered to be the most exciting and best team in the history of australian football so this is a guy that he's knocked down everything that's been put in front of him and uh, typically spurs do have a habit of killing perfect records um jose <laughs> <laughs> but is that a worry? Elio, do you look at that and think he's got a lot to prove? There's no reason to think that will translate into the Premier League or does that not really factor into no, it for you? It, do it doesn't overly worry me, mainly because he's on the right trajectory. It's not as if he's done that, then had a blip, then we hired him like someone like Vilas Boas, who is, oh, I know, a lot younger than this guy as well, but he was on the up, on the up, on the up. Then he had a bad spell with Chelsea, and then we hired him after he got found out. This guy's not being found out. What this guy has done is ultimately what, regardless of the level they manage at, you want from the guy running a football club. He has overachieved regardless of setting with less fancied options he's overachieved and done really really well with favorites and the most fancies options he still managed to find a way to overachieve i mean without wanting to liken yeah. this guy to the best manager of the past two decades and potentially of all time what guardiola did at barcelona was take already the best side in that country yeah. and overachieve with them for that four-year period. And yeah. that's what this guy has done with Celtic. Yes, Spain is a harder league than Scotland and Barcelona have more competition than Celtic too, but it's it's the same concept. He overachieved with Australia. He overachieved with winning an Asian Cup against other good nations, other good footballing nations. It's not like they were just competing against sort of likes of Fiji and uh, Western Samoa yeah. like they, they used to. They're competing with, with Japan and Iran and South Korea. So yeah. so he overachieved that. Like you say, the Yokohama title, the Brisbane Raw success, which was what you just described as seen as the greatest footballing side that country's ever seen. So if his concept consistent theme is overachieving then i don't see why he can't do it again i mean all our best managers have overachieved with what they've got all the best managers do overachieve with what they've got except for pep because i think he's got no room to overachieve with what he has at manchester city no, no. but he did once if you if you can just allow me, here's a list of clubs, and I apologise in advance for anybody I'm about to offend. ADO <laughs> Den Haag, Scheveningen, which sounds vaguely racist, Roger <laughs> JC, RKC Volvike, Tottenham Hotspur. 
that's yeah. the managerial pathway of Martignol. Two yeah. of those clubs are amateur clubs. And there was only three of them, which I assume are second division clubs in the Netherlands. Even yeah. if you want a more recent example, if you look at the managerial record of Eric Ten Hag, he spent a year at the Go Ahead Eagles. I'll be honest, I, I think Great that's name, I can't say for certain. What's a better name, Go Ahead Eagles or Brisbane Raw? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, continue. I don't even have the capacity to come up with a response to <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, he then spent two years yeah. at the Bayern Munich B team. So it'd be like if he was in charge of our Premier League two side. Another couple mm-hmm. of years at Utrecht, so a middling, with all due respect, Dutch side. And then, okay, fair enough, five years at Ajax, but that's is that any different to spending three years at Celtic, i.e. one Barely. of the two clubs in that league that isn't a great league where you're guaranteed to basically win it? So yeah. I, I don't think we can look at Mikel Arteta as another example. You who look at Pep, okay, De went into, Yeah, De Zerbi. Uh, imagine if we'd hired De Zerbi this time last year. Would we be looking at it going, oh, yeah. bloody hell, we've just signed a guy from the Ukrainian league with the only team in the Ukrainian league that actually wins it in Shakhtar Donetsk. And before that, yeah. what did he do? He took a middling Sassuolo club from 11th to 8th. I think there are a hell of a lot of examples nowadays of managers making these huge jumps and making these huge leaps than not, to be honest with you. That doesn't mean it's going to work. I mean, there are a lot of things uh, that will require it to work from across the club, but it isn't the same. I mean, look, a, a lot of us, myself included, were absolutely pining for somebody like Arne Schlott. And I don't think his CV is that much better. You can argue in many ways it's worse mm. just because of the lack of experience outside of what he's done with Feyenoord. So I'm honestly not concerned. Yeah. Dave, is he better than Brendan Rodgers? Time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> You're better than that, Dave. St- Get off the fence. But if we look at the stats... <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> so well, I did. I did a quick look, and I got, and I looked at the uh, the stats of Brendan Rodgers' last season at Celtic uh, compared yeah. to Postecoglou's last season at Celtic, which is the one just gone. Obviously, Postecoglou won eight more games. Rodgers drew seven more games. Postecoglou lost one less game. Interestingly, Ange's Celtic scored a lot more goals, forty-one more goals, a total of one hundred and fourteen yeah. in the season, which is a record in Scotland. I might add, if I'm which not mistaken, which is a record in Scotland. Dags has added, and they finished seventeen points better off than. Brendan and Rodgers' team of the, his last full yeah. season who finished on 82 points. Um, yeah. So by that definition, yes, he is. But at the same time, if you go back a whole other season, Celtic went unbeaten and scored lots of goals ah. and got over 100 points. So We like selective yeah. stats on this podcast. Stats, stats you can, can prove whatever that. you want them to prove. Um, but I I, I, can't, I think it's funny that they're going back to the age thing and the, he's no one knows who he is thing. I think that's just Mm. hilarious it's like oh well and then Rio Ferdinand should get every job in football because everybody's heard of him no it's not worked <laughs> yeah. like that well, Frank good, Lampard, and if you get good you get a better job and if you're good at that one you get a better job at a better club the director of football of Manchester United should be the last really good director of football at another Manchester based team like Burnley or Preston that's how football yeah. should work not you know he knows the club or he knows the tea lady it's nonsense mm. He's good enough. He's got he's got a good CV, which has what about four hundred club games and over fifty international games, where he's averaged over two and a half yeah. points a game. Yeah, he's all right. He yeah, what's fun. wrong with experience? I mean, okay, he's a lot older, but I tell you this: I bet more people have heard of Ange Postecoglou than people had heard of Arsene Wenger back in nineteen ninety six or seven or whatever it was. Okay, we have the internet now. What does older mean? He's he's not at retirement age. He's not a relic. This is the thing. If football managers he's, start a lot later, and he's good enough. Why has football become so ageist all of a sudden? Most people start work at you know twenty one or even younger in some cases. Football managers start in their late thirties, early forties. So he's like he's not that old in terms of the time he spent in his career. It's just it's very strange. It's a very strange thing. It, I think it is exactly that. It just it doesn't fit the archetypal image that you have. Another stat you forgot to mention, Dave, is uh, that they averaged, and this is insane, they averaged 73% possession across last season in the league, which I know, best team in the league and everything, fine. But still, that's that's insane. Um, which brings me to the next thing I wanted to mention that we touched on before. Elio, you made a comparison to Guardiola, which I think we can't ignore because, of course, Yokohama... F. Marinos are part of the City Football Group and I think culturally there's a lot of overlap and there have been a lot of comparisons in the way that he tries to play 
to Guardiola, which is obviously high praise. And, and Guardiola himself has had very kind words to say about him. I think the two teams played each other a while back and many of the City players came out and said that they were one of the strongest teams they've played against. Um, and in terms of the tactics, you know, I want to get on to talking about tactics and how our current squad might fit and who we might need to replace and so on and so forth. But the way he's always played, and I say always because he is, by all accounts, a very stubborn, dogmatic manager that likes to play a certain way and doesn't change, which concerns me a little bit because that brings me back to Conte in a different way but moving past that he plays a 4-3-3 uh, he likes inverting wing backs he likes his fullbacks to play quite central and join in with the midfield which allows two of the midfielders to push on the midfield generally consists of a ball playing six a kind of regista type I guess which interesting to see if we have one of those or if we, if you see any of our players doing that profile uh, and two very attacking kind of number eights which I know Elio you've been calling out for for a long time his wingers generally give the width they play quite wide and typically likes a striker to run in behind and be a kind of traditional poacher type which obviously Harry Kane isn't but he's still Harry Kane we don't know if we're going to have Harry Kane next season or not um, I want to talk about that idea and we all know how Guardiola has played for most of his time at City we know that sort of 4-3-3 tactic quite well so it's easy to try and draw parallels Socks, what do you think are the biggest discrepancies between what we expect Postacoglu will try and play and the personnel he currently has available to him? I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say that large parts of our squad because we've spent four years building towards <laughs> a combination of four two three ones that played in a defensive way and more recently a 3-4-3. If you look at the back, we all know we need a brand new goalkeeper regardless of whatever the system yeah. is, that's fine. You need a defence that can, A, cope playing with a high line, which means you need some kind of recovery pace yeah. in there. You need them all to be decent with distributing the ball. I would argue only Romero and Porro probably tick those boxes at the moment. Udogi, mm. I think, is a bit of an unknown because I don't think we've seen any of us unless someone wants to turn around and say they've watched Udinese 10 times this season, in which case, fair enough. But I don't think yeah. um, we know. Uh, even in terms of our fullbacks, I don't know if any of them are capable of particularly inverting. If you look at someone like Cancelo at City, Zinchenko mm. at Arsenal, they seem to be more the bomb down the wing style. Again, Adogi yeah. being the maybe, the question might be exception. Maybe Davies, potentially. potentially although, yeah. I mean, he's also, uh, does he have the technical ability to play that role? Yeah, In, in exactly. terms of essentially forming kind of a box midfield, I'd be surprised. Mm. And then the midfield itself, we have a lot of number sixes. Benton could do it, Basuma can do yeah. it, maybe Hoiberg can do it, maybe Skip could do it. We don't have much by way of number eights. And if we play with a 4-2-3-1, I think we discussed this on either the last podcast or the one before, we don't have much by way of number 10s. And then moving forward, okay, look, I mean, he probably likes the number nine. On paper, someone like Richarlison would be more of an adept number nine because of how much he can relentlessly press from the front. But yeah. if you keep someone like Kane, a top manager will find a way to make him work. You, you I'm, I'm not Kane. too concerned about that. Yeah. It's, yeah. When you have a player that that's good, you, you, you fit the system around him. You have to make that concession. It's more so the wingers. I mean, even Son isn't so much of a winger as he is kind of like an inside mm. forward. Again, comparing us to, say, City or Arsenal, who are another very close analogue, Son and Martinelli are quite different to one another. A lot of yeah. the, from what I've read, a hell of a lot of the work in his Celtic side was done by that front three that just pressed like hell not too dissimilar to what Pochettino used to do by the way if you look at the ground that Ericsson and Deli Ali and Harry Kane used to cover it was almost as much as Dembele and Wanyama so it's not like I say it's not that much of an exaggeration to say almost every aspect of the squad would need to be overhauled mm. however I don't think it's that dramatic as it may sound because we almost have to draw a line of everything that's come before and look at it and go okay this is now year zero of a project that's four or five years potentially until it, in the best case scenario yeah. reaches its apex what are we expecting that year zero team especially where the club has been incredibly different in the managers that have come previous to push the glue what are we expecting to have a ready-made team from day one from week one i'm not overly concerned i'm concerned about the recruitment and whether we'll get it done because that's something that the club has yet to prove but i think looking at it and going maybe eight of these players or seven of these players won't fit. Okay, fine. We'll sign two or three mm. at a time every summer window. And in three years' time, we will hit hopefully some kind of a peak. Mm. Yeah, there's always that caveat, isn't there, of maybe some of these players can be the player we need them to be and we just don't know it and this great coach will show us. And there's always that. But obviously, 
that's a bit ambitious to rely on. Elio, I suspect you probably have several thoughts on essentially that exact question again. How do you think our squad is set up to play, to try and mimic Guardiola's Man City? Or at least last season, the last couple of seasons, I know they play slightly differently this year, but the classic 4-3-3, do we have the right players? No, but I'm heartened by the fact that we've got a manager who does believe in coaching players as opposed to the several we've had in a row that doesn't. I think if someone's able to be a top-level footballer as a wing-back, then they should also be, especially a young one like Udogi or Poro, they should be able to play as a fullback. I Agreed. think if someone's capable of playing in the front three on one side, they should be capable of doing a pretty good job on the other side. And if they're best at going in, but they've got the right coach, they should learn how to go outside. So yeah. it depends how many of our players we think are actually good good players more than how many we think currently suits Ange because some of them will never suit him but some of them mm. you'd have to hope could end up suiting him I want to look at someone like Brian Hill for instance who is your archetypal get the ball go on the outside winger dribbly fast great pressing as well you, yeah. Someone like him could he have perfect, a second lease of love. Exactly. Whereas, who knows, as much as we absolutely adore Kulusevsky, and I personally think there has to be a role for someone like Kulusevsky in our team next mm. season, Postacoglu may look at him and think, actually, no, I need a bit more pace from the flanks. Or he may think, I like you, but as a central player, because you're a big, strong boy with a great touch, and this team needs... Yeah, maybe he's uh, needs, you, you can be my Moussin Tembele almost, or something like that. Like You don't know what's going to go through his mind, but my opinion is that the players that we do think are top players, Kane, Son, Kulusevski, Bentoncourt, potentially Horo and Udogi, they should be able to work well in a system that is probably a compromise between what their bread and butter is and what Postacoglu brings to the table by way of tactics. So it's going to depend on his coaching, but every account says he's a good coach, so I'm not worried there. What I do think is that we do lack in certain areas. You look at that midfield description, like Sox just mentioned, we've probably got a lot of people who could be a six of sorts. Where are your eights? Basuma, very obvious press-resistant number six. That is what he has been best at, playing in a high-possession team where he's the guy who takes the ball off the centre-backs and finds a way to progress it forward. The fact that he looks terrible in a 30% possession counter-attacking team is probably not his fault. Someone like Benton... Does he have the distribution ability, though? Do any of them? I know Hoiberg plays a lot of progressive passes, but he's not exactly Andrea Pirlo. Do, do we have... Progressive passing isn't just about doing the 60-yard raking pass into the flanks. It's, no, just, it's just doing the right move. Basuma can take the ball with his first touch and pass it with his second in a completely different direction. That's one thing I do know about him. So, yeah, I do yeah, think okay. he's someone that can be worked with. Bentoncourt, he may not have come as a number eight, but you look at the stats he was posting last season in terms of goals yeah, and assists before his injury. You look at the way he plays the ball forward, the way he dribbles forward with the ball. Absolutely, he could be an eight and a Postacoglu system. Then you look at people mm-hmm. like Eric Dye, you look at people like Davinson Sanchez, you look at people like Tanganga, and you probably think, no, you guys don't have much of a touch about it. You're quite clumsy. You're quite slow on the ball. You don't see it. So those are areas we massively need to work on. Sock said recently that if everything we throw out this summer is out the defence and we get that right, That's that'll still be a bloody good yeah. summer. Yeah. Yes, I would like to see us sign at least one eight or ten or more forward-thinking central midfielder because I do think we lack that. But yeah. I also think there's more to work with there than in our defence. And like Sock says, this is day zero. So if we see progress... The way Arsenal did bit by bit progress every year, I'm going to wash my mouth out in soap after our recording, then (laughs) that's enough right now because it's just going to be good to see us go in the right direction again because we have been dwindling for five years and it's not been fun. Yeah. It's no coincidence either that the first time we're not going to be playing in Europe, incidentally, the season our club decides to give us the white shorts back, which is a bit strange. We're obviously not going to have the same money to throw around at players this window. So I think this is a guy who's proven that he's done well with tight budgets before. He doesn't have to be given 60 million per player to succeed like certain other managers that we've had. So so that's obviously exciting. So I'm sure there will be some activity, but at the same time, you can't expect to change the team around top to bottom in one window, mm-hmm. as we've always said. Um, Dave, I want to know what you think about this whole attacking philosophy, because 
all accounts say that Postacoglu is a man who loves to attack. He loves to entertain. He's not going to change for anyone. He doesn't care if he has to try and play in the opposition's half of Eric Dyer in defence. Do you think Spurs fans need to have a little bit of patience and understanding for the beginning of the season that this isn't going to click immediately? Do you think there is a danger that if we try and play like Guardiola's Man City with a high line trying to keep possession, trying to throw everybody forward, we might be on the receiving end of a couple of four nils as the teething issues start to settle? Is that there's fair? A, there's, a, there's a high likelihood of that, but I think that's what comes part and parcel of the of the game that's the risk and reward element and i think that mm. kind of reminds me quite a lot of the early years in the championship with with bielsa and i think that's probably not a million miles oh, yeah, away sure. from in terms of in terms of where you guys are in terms of how good your squad is in comparison with the rest of the league you're not the best squad we certainly didn't have the best squad when bielsa came to us but he coached us and he had a methodology and that methodology was yeah the defense wasn't great but ultimately it didn't matter because we always had the ball 73% possession last last season, according to you, Dags. You know, if you can yeah. recreate that sort of thing, then they're not going to have the ball. So if they haven't got the ball, then they're not going to attack you. It's testament to that is the defensive numbers that, you know, they have from last season. You know, I know that the Scottish Premier League is not exactly, you know, the hardest league in the world for a Celtic or for a Rangers, but they only conceded 34 goals. So that's less than a goal a game. And mm. they scored, and they scored, you know, almost four goals a game. So, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth, but the fact that you are starting at a level where you do have decent players and a decent squad, you know, at least mid-table, if not upper mid-table quality of squad, then you will immediately, if he can instill that coaching ethic into you quickly, then you will start to see that and you will get results against all of the teams underneath you in terms of squad quality. Yeah, we could do with a couple of easy fixtures to start or, you know, quote unquote, easy fixtures to start the league off, couldn't we? We don't want to be thrown into a, a baptism of fire the first few games when we're trying to change the entire philosophy of the squad. But we'll have to see. I think it's a week away we find out, isn't it, the fixture list? It's actually quite soon. So that'll be interesting to see. You'll get, you'll get Manchester United away and you'll blow them away. We, well, I mean, talking of Man United, we, we mentioned Ten Hag earlier. Remember how that started? They were getting absolutely hammered and we thought it was a joke and we were saying, Eric, 10 days. And it's evidence, isn't it, that sometimes you need a little time to let a system kick in. So I, for one, would like to urge patience on any Spurs fans listening and say that we're not going to be 73% possession in our first game, no matter who we play. I just don't think we will be. But, you know, we have to trust the process and, and hope that by the second half of the season, it's all clicking. Are there any, I, I hate transfer talk. I know Elio hates transfer talk, but let's talk about a couple of potential players. Is there anyone potentially from Celtic that might come across that would be interesting? Anyone that we've been linked to? I know James Madison is just perennially linked to Spurs and obviously he's probably going somewhere. It might be us. It might be Newcastle. He would fit the system. What are we thinking in terms of potential incomings? The only player that seems going on whispers to be not moderately close, but that we've begun pushing for properly is David Wright at Brentford, which would be an absolutely yep. fabulous signing. Great signing. And obviously in terms of being a possession-based team, he'd be very good for that because he's a very good sort of ball-playing goalkeeper. He's also a great shot stopper. But on top of that, it's funnily enough, another homegrown option in the squad as well, which I think in goal you need to have homegrown options unless you're number one is overseas so it, it frees up uh, that for the rest of the, the team as well to what's it called adhere to these stupid UEFA rules basically that stop us yeah. playing them foreigners um, so yeah I, I I think I like the sound of that one in terms of other links I think everything is just paper fluff we're in for Madison no Newcastle for in for Madison Newcastle are going to sign him if he doesn't sign for Spurs as long as he doesn't sign for Newcastle because he's always been yeah. a boyhood whatever fan like it, it's yeah. just one of those transfer merry-go-rounds at the moment so it, it's hard to piece together anything remotely credible yeah I love the tweets that are like yeah Newcastle are probably going to pay him 300 grand a week and they're going to be in the Champions League but they're in Newcastle and he wants to live in London. I'm not so sure that's going to be the decision maker, but who knows? Who knows? Where's the where's Boohoo Man's HQ? Is that is that in London? He's got to weekly board meetings. <laughs> Maybe it's time to bring Deli Ali back. Maybe he would thrive in a more free number eight role getting forward. Who knows? Um, Socks, anyone that you like the look of? I, I suspect, as with most of us, if there was any truth to the Madison thing, you'd be quite interested in that. 
Yeah, he's he's definitely an option. I mean, it's it's early days. Uh, you you mentioned potentially poaching players from Celtic. I think yes. Rio Hatate, who is a number eight, has sort yeah. of been kind of loosely dubbed by their fans, if I'm not mistaken, as like the Japanese Modric. Modric, yeah. somebody that kind of controls the game from the middle of the park and has a fair bit of creativity would probably be the one that I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've watched Celtic on a weekly basis just based off the stuff I've read. You listen yeah. to some Celtic fans and they look at it and go, look, player X, Y, and Z, I'm not sure we'll be able to make the jump to the Premier League, but somebody like Hatate would be. Beyond that, it, it's the early days of the transfer window where we're linked to about 500,000 players. Lord knows how many of them are accurate or not. So I'm with Elio. I think if you told me that David Raya is the first signing to come through the door for 30 to 40 million quid in good time for preseason, and if that is followed up by a quality left centre-back in particular, I think we've mentioned that before on the show, but we've been regularly linked to the likes of uh, Max Kilman at Wolves and Mark mm. Wade at Palace. We've also recently been linked to Americ Laporte, who is yes. supposedly on his way out from Man City. Any of those three w- would fit the bill. I think they're all similar kind yeah. of prices or whatever. You're very rarely going to get a free run at any of these players. So it may just be yeah. you kind of get the one that sort of falls into your lap. I think everyone would be perfectly happy with that. So let's see how we go. I keep seeing all of these proposed and 11 FCs for next season. You know how Twitter is. Everyone is putting together their team. Some of them are ridiculous and unrealistic and some of them don't even make any sense. But the semi-sensible ones that I see tend to go Raya and goal, Romero and Laporte, for example, as a signing, Udoji and Poro or Udoji and Emerson. And then I think most of them we've seen Basuma at six, Benton Kerr and Madison slash whoever we signed for that position. And then up front, obviously, it's Kane if he stays. If not, then maybe Richarlison in that position uh, in the centre forward and then Sonic Kosevsky. So it's it's not a huge change in terms of first now. It's just that some of them might have to do different things and it's going to be interesting to see. But we'll probably have to do another podcast if and when we start making some serious transfers. But, you know, at least by the time the season rolls around, we'll know what sort of squad we're working with and we'll have to do another one then and preview everything. Um, I've got a few quotes that I like. I want to get your thoughts on these quotes. First of all, this one's interesting. This ties into the Spurs DNA from Ange himself. I'm a big believer that if you can produce homegrown talent and players who have come through the club, there's extra meaning to represent that football club for the player. Kind of goes without saying, but nice to hear. Nice to hear. We found out that one. Um, I want my football teams to play and that's to make sure our supporters don't sit down for 90 minutes. Elio, I know your legs aren't what they used to be, but here's it your ears, right? You want, you want to see some entertaining attacking football. How many times have I told you about my love of the player that you get off your seat before he's even done anything? Exactly. So, well, I thought of you. Yeah, I, 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 I like having a reason to stand up at football. So come on, Big Ange, give it to me. Yamas. <laughs> <laughs> he's Greek, not Australian. <laughs> That's that's my favourite part of the podcast so far. Uh, this this almost seems like an inadvertent pop at Mourinho. I don't pop champagne corks for clean sheets. Love that. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are loads of other quotes. And um, I think I'd urge anyone to have a look. I don't know if any of you guys have seen any of the clips of him giving team talks or just his interviews. I think one thing that's worth mentioning we haven't really touched on is that he just seems like a really good speaker. He just seems he seems like a really motivational guy that you want to get behind. What do we think of Ange Postacoglu, the man, from what we've seen so far? I just wanted to give me a hug. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's my, it's the dad vibe, isn't it? He's my footballing daddy. And, and I, that, that's what the club needs <laughs> yeah, at the moment. Okay. Uh, uh, we're all kind yeah. of in an emotionally broken state because we've had four years of abusive parents telling us that we're not good <laughs> enough for them and boring us to tears. You do need... <laughs> Yeah, we're lazy. We mentioned it before on the show. We need a manager, not a head coach. We need somebody that can pull together every fractured yeah. bit of this club. And I think those soft skills, being able to communicate, somebody like Nuno, for example, uh, seemed like a very lovely guy, but you, you just weren't excited listening to him. And uh, again, these things, appearances, we were saying before, appearances matter. I mean, imagine being a player. You want to be motivated by this guy. And if you're a player that's going to have doubts because you're looking at it in the way some of our fans are and going, oh, well, you've only managed in Australia and the J-League. One of the ways to get people on your side incredibly early before you can start even coaching properly yeah. and getting into games is not just to give them a big hug, but uh, to motivate them with your words. So I think it's, it's hugely important. And it's yeah. not just the fact that he's a good speaker. He seems incredibly self-aware. I really mm. liked his interview when he was leaving Celtic after they won the League Cup. And he said, look, everybody thought I was a bit of a joke when I was appointed. I like that level of... Yeah. Mm. I don't know if humility is the right word, but partly well. humi- Yes, yeah. 
It's not exactly just media that. training cliches. <laughs> if you squint yes. at him and listen with your fingers in your ears, it's a bit like we've hired the love child, the three-way love child or thrapple or what you want to call it of Pochettino, Harry Redknapp and Martin Yole. That is an image that will haunt my nightmares for years. <laughs> the conception of that love child. Thank you. Thank you for that, Elio. Um, you are back welcome. To what I was saying, there's a balance, isn't there? Because we're talking about him giving you a hug. Like, apparently, he's not that fatherly in the, in the sort of emotional way. Like he, apparently, from reports from players that have played under him, he doesn't give you one-on-one time. He doesn't go and put an arm around you and have a little chat with you and make sure you're okay. He's a bit of a disciplinarian. He can shout. I've seen some clips of him, you know, tearing into his team, a bit like that Vincent Company clip that did the rounds. You know, he, he swears, he gets gruff, and he shouts, and he's, you know, he'll, he'll try and motivate in all ways you know he's, he's not he's not always angry and he's not always calm but this isn't a teddy bear this isn't like a nuno where you just think this guy's way too nice for anyone to take him seriously even Pochettino, everyone loved him and he was the dad of the group and everything and he did very well but he didn't seem like that kind of he's going to tell you off and you don't want to disappoint him type in in that sort of traditional way and that's the impression i get from when i've seen these uh, speeches and these team talks there was one team talk that i saw a video of and he basically goes full on Al Pacino any given Sunday. Like this, this inspirational thing where he starts telling the players to, it's like, he's like, think about that person that believed in you when you were just starting out in football, when you were getting into it, that one person that had your back, that one person that wanted to see you succeed. When you go out there tonight, I want you to think about them and how happy they're going to be when you win this game and all this, blah, blah, blah. And then you're expecting him to finish it with like, all right, go get him, go beat him. And he's just like, all right, go enjoy your lunch. And I'm like, wait, what? They're not playing the match now? That was just training? I was like, what is this? Obviously, it was in the build-up to a big game. I think it was a final. It was Australian uh, Asia Cup final. But yeah, he looks like he's inspirational, but with the right balance of love and fear, which is perfect. Um, I feel like I can say this as a Greek, but he looks like he cooks a mean barbecue. Any objections? Anyone disagree? No, he's definitely got the slightest. He's definitely got a world. He's definitely got world's best chef apron. Yeah, exactly. I reckon I reckon he stands there like brushing on the marinade onto the souvla while it's turning just to make sure the flavor's locked in but he doesn't ignore his guests he's doing that with one hand he's holding a beer in the other and he's talking addressing the he's group three with, the other. <laughs> with his other hand yeah with his third hand yeah exactly souvla for 150 odd listeners who probably yes. don't know what it is is essentially a giant chop slash kebab hybrid dripping in goodness and uh, grease it's beautiful goodness wouldn't yeah. have been the word choice. he actually he mentioned you might be more familiar with with souvlaki or souvlaki uh, as uh, some people might pronounce it which he mentioned in one of his interviews he was telling a story about going to going to games with his dad who's obviously of greek descent his dad's from greece um it's actually quite nice have you heard any of the chat about he's his from dad? greece too he was born in greece seen... he lived there for five years yeah uh, yeah but i mean i don't know how much of that you'd remember but yeah he was born in greece but he's obviously grown up in australia um but yeah there's a lot of really nice anecdotes like he his dad is obviously a huge part of his his journey and his inspiration and there's all this talk about how it's the thing that brought him together and got him into football because it was the thing that connected him with his dad and i thought that was quite nice i thought that was quite nice you know because i don't think you don't really hear football managers opening up that much apart from conte after southampton but that's the bad kind but yeah he seems he seems really good um seems like a great guy dags I think he seems like a lovely guy and i can't <laughs> wait to get behind him and to sing some chants do we have any chance for for Postacoglu, have you, got, have, have you seen any that have caught your eye? Because Twitter's already been working its magic. I've got a few here. All I know is I want to hear the neighbours theme tune with Postacoglu related <laughs> lyrics over it, but played on a bouzouki, and then I'll be happy. Uh, that's your challenge for the next episode, which bear in mind will be in a, quite a while, so you've got time, Elio, is to come up with Postacoglu's specific neighbours lyrics. That's our uh, new opening jingle for next season. Sort of <laughs> it thing, could really. be. It could be. So there's Aussies going to Wembley, obviously, with a different spelling. This one's brilliant. To dare is to didgeridoo. <laughs> and, of course, I wanna be in that number when the Spurs go marching on. <laughs> I think that's see all the a good point. Some wi- I think that's <laughs> a good point. Is, is that too much misery? You guys have got two months to come up with a lot better than that. Oh, we do. I mean, we're just getting started. I, I love all the merchandise that's already being sold online of just Aussie hats, you know, with the, with the I don't know what they're called, with their little corks hanging down with Spurs logos. There's the Spurs logo where the cockerel's been replaced by a kangaroo. People are all over it, which is, um, it's fun. Let's not be Newcastle fans. Oh, 
Yeah, but it's okay because we like Australia. <laughs> Shout out to our Saudi listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to see what happens to our Australian number base, our Australian listener base, and how many go up because we, we've already got it's our I think it's our third or fourth highest listener country, which. Um, you know, helps that they speak English. Other orders of business. I wanted to mention this has nothing to do with Postacoglu, but it was a lovely moment. I think we're all we're all aware of. Toby Alderweireld, absolute fairy tale. Went back to his boyhood club and scored the league-winning goal for Royal Antwerp with an absolute thunder bastard in the dying moments of the game. How lovely was that? You have a heart of stone if you didn't enjoy that. It was great. I shared it Thanks, with the Dave. group. That's what I needed. It was great. I shared it with the group and then you shared it a couple of hours later because you hadn't seen that I'd shared it. Uh, in in what is something of a trademark move of mine, I yeah, must say. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't hear it that often, do you? That the other leagues have crackpot finishes in the way that, you know, the championship playoffs yeah. do. But um, but yeah, it does happen. And obviously, it's a, it's a great story for Aldevero to be able to... Um, well, I'm not sure he's signing off. I don't think he's, he's retiring. Is he retiring after that? I mean, he should. He absolutely should. Not, not because he can't he play has. anymore, but because that no, is like, the biggest well, mic drop I've, of all time. I've football completed it, mate. See you later. Yeah, that's <laughs> like Messi moving to Miami. I've won the World Cup. I've nothing to prove. Anyway, I'm taking us down different avenues. Uh, right, it's becoming painfully apparent that this episode has run its course. So I'm going to think about wrapping it up. Apart from to say I loved Ozzy Ardila's tweet welcoming Ange Costapoglu, which was um, heartwarming. Uh, any closing thoughts, guys, or anything that, that we haven't picture? touched on? Was that picture yeah. of Ozzy Ardila? Sorry to stretch yeah. this on. Was that picture That's of Ozzy Ardila in the Spurs shirt real? Yeah, I think it so, looks yeah. real, but with they AI, could have given him a, little, a bit of a bigger shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that's that was, that's that modern giving. football shirts, though. They're not. They're not designed for the, yeah, the larger shirts. Well, and and Postecoglou would not out. would not wear a, a Spurs elite yeah, stadium crop shirt. Out the the love handles, or give me a bigger shirt. <laughs> God, it's usually me that brings the fat shaming to the show. No, it wasn't fat shaming. I'm, I'm, I'm shaming the Spurs marketing team for not yeah. seeing that and going, that is a bit tight, actually, Ozzy. Do you want a bigger shirt? Ozzy's knees have gone all trembly and his belly's gone all wobbly. That feels sacrilegious. I just Sorry insulted one of our greatest that. legends who's done nothing wrong. Um, anyway, anyway, yeah, the kits are ridiculously expensive. I've met Ozzy, I've thought, thought, Have you? Have you actually? Oh, yeah, but How did that um, um, of I also needed a shirt that was larger than the one I wore that day. <laughs> yeah. And there we What's come. What size do you buy these days, Elio? And will you be buying? Will you be parting with eighty pounds, or dare I say, one hundred and twenty pounds for a new Spurs shirt this season? No, it's a nice shirt. It looks like lots of the other recent ones. The whole reason why I bought a retro shirt was so that I didn't have to do the yearly kit buying yep. process, and I could just stick to that. And I'm happy with my choice. And you didn't have to have a red sponsor as well, which is obviously the mm. most important thing. Socks. It's going to be a long time till the next podcast, so make this a good sign off. Any closing thoughts on our incoming new coach? No. No, no hey, any incoming thoughts on Spurs incoming new uh, incoming thoughts? That's not what I meant to say. God, this is this is falling apart quicker than last season. Did you did you address me or Dave? I think you addressed Dave. This is like a WhatsApp chat now when nine out of every ten words comes from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's oh me just talking God. to myself at this point. Come on, Dave, give me something good to go out on. It's a good appointment. We'll see where it goes. It'll be interesting to see what you do in the transfer window. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you don't do a lot. I'll take it. Pleasure to have you, Dave. Elio, you can have the final words. Um, let's hope that he's worth more than my left testicle. <laughs> See, guys, that's how you do it. Brilliant. Well, we will be back at some point between now and the new season. Thank you all for tuning back in again. Sorry for how this episode's ended. I think it started quite well, though. We look forward to welcoming all of you back to talk about all of our exciting signings and to look ahead to the season, by which point we will be completely deluded and expecting Spurs to run away with the league. So we hope all of you can join us for that one. Until then, stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you next season. Welcome.